The book of Hebrews, if you would please, chapter number 11. Hebrews and chapter number 11. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter number 4, don't turn there for time, verse number 2, for the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Do you know you can hear the greatest preaching that the world has to offer and not profit at all? And so tonight I want to preach a message on what does faith do? What does faith do? I remember as I was growing up, my uh, dad had not only was a good preacher himself, but he brought in a lot of great preachers at that age. And so growing up, I certainly was in a church where God was working, where prayers were being answered, where uh, people were being saved, and God was transforming lives. As I mentioned the other night, I still cannot go six months without somebody coming to me and telling me about my parents' ministry, one or the other, and how it impacted their hearts and lives. And certainly I'm grateful for that, and literally people across the globe that have served the Lord have been touched by their ministry. But the amazing thing is, in the same place, right there, the same place, where people's lives are being transformed, where people are being touched, there were some people who were in the same services, they came to every church service Sunday morning, Sunday night and Wednesday night, and yet it didn't profit them. I'm thinking one man went to prison for molesting his adopted children. He was there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. He was there sitting next to people whose lives are being transformed. You see, friends, you can hear great preaching, and I know you do. You can hear great. I'm not saying that I'm the one. You obviously got a good preacher. I'm saying you, you hear good, can hear good preaching. But I'm telling you this, it won't profit you unless the Bible says you mix it with faith. There are some people standing out here literally in time and eternity down the line, their lives are going to be transformed. They say, you know, those years at Canaan, God did a work in my heart. But there are other people, perhaps right in this auditorium, who will not be profited by the same preaching because they are not mixing it with faith. And so we've got to ask our question, what does faith do? In other words, what's the big deal about faith? Why is that so important in preaching? Because sometimes I think you can come to a service, man, I was a great service, man. God worked this, people got right. I mean, it was a great service. But the point is, it still won't profit you unless you mix it with faith. Now, the preaching that's being referred to in Hebrews chapter 4, the preacher was the man Moses. And the gospel that was preaching was the gospel, what I call the gospel to the saint. What do you say it is? You see that promised land over there? It's yours. All you got to do is believe God and take it. They didn't mix it with faith and it didn't profit them. Oh, they were hearing great preaching. And so tonight, let's go to Hebrews 11, just a few pages back. We find out a little bit more what the writer, the anonymous writer of Hebrews is trying to tell us here. And uh, he tells us, what does faith do? For years, I thought Hebrews 11.1 1 was a definition of faith. And I'm not saying you can't learn what faith is out of Hebrews 11.1. 1. It's certainly, I think you can do some of that. But I think more of what of Hebrews 11.1 1 is talking about is what does faith do? In fact, you know what happens after Hebrews 11.1? 1? Hebrews 11 happens. And there's story after story after story of what does faith do. It illustrates verse number 1. So we got, in order to get Hebrews 11 right, you got to get Hebrews 11.1 1 right. So let's spend a few moments tonight. I know this is going to shock you. We're going to preach on one verse tonight. Unbelievable. You say, preacher, we might be out on time tonight. Okay, don't get too hopeful. Okay, but anyway... I always get fired up when I look out there and see all the sinners. Okay, but anyway, I'm just teasing. Okay, so here it is. The Bible says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. 
Now, there's two phrases, the substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. I personally believe they're appositional. In other words, they mean the same thing. The first one says, the substance of things hoped for. So what in the world is that talking about? Well, let's talk about the word substance. The word substance is the, is the Greek word uh, that uh, uh, hypostasis. It's translated uh, uh, in Hebrews 11, uh, excuse me, Hebrews chapter number 3. It's ta- uh, translated confidence. Okay, but the idea hypostasis literally means that which stands under. That would be the etymology of the word, that which stands under. In fact, everybody in this room right now is sitting on a hypostasis. You know what I'm talking about? You're sitting on a that which sits under, okay? In other words, that's what hypostasis is. It's that which you trust. It's that which substantiates. That's where you got the idea of substance. It substantiates uh, uh, your weight. It, it, keep, it stands under you. And I don't see anybody right now, I, don't, I could be wrong about this, but I don't see anybody too worried that your pew's about to collapse. None of you are tensed up. None of you are grabbing on the person next to you. None of you are too worried. Most of you are just pretty calm about the deal. I was preaching in Fredericksburg, Virginia years ago and an old chapel is probably 50 years old with old wooden pews and I was given the same illustration. I said, man, you kids don't seem to be too worried that the pew is about to collapse and the whole student body, about 150 of them began laughing. I said, why are you laughing? He said, last week or two weeks ago, one of the pews collapsed. <laughs> okay, bad idea. Okay, but the idea of substance is it's, it's that which stands under it. It substantiates. Okay, the Bible says, here's what faith does. It brings substance to, it substantiates what? Hopes. Now, most of us out here, we use the word hope in an American way. We do not use it in a Bible way. Did you know the word hope in the English American way we use it is different than the Bible way? So many of us out here will say, I hope the Atlanta Braves are going to have a two-peat. You know what I'm talking about? I hope they're going to win the World Series again. Well, it wasn't likely last year, but they pulled it off. I think the reason they pulled it off is because the, uh, uh, the uh, commissioner pulled the All-Star game. And I think that was the reason they uh, won the World Series. But anyway, I was kind of glad about it. Actually, I was really happy. Even though I'm not a Braves fan, I was pulling for you. I was glad for every home game you had right here in this town. It was kind of like in your face. Okay, but anyway, that was uh, that. Uh, I didn't mean to get too political here. I was thinking of... Uh, please forgive me if, if I, I'm just trying to illustrate something. I, I went to the store today, went down to Walmart. I wasn't planning to buy a bottle of water. I have plenty of it. But I walked in and I saw it for $3, 40 packs for $3.30. I thought for a mem- moment, is Trump president again? What's going on? You know what I'm talking about? $3.30 some cents. So I bought three packs. Okay, but anyway, save myself $2. Last time I bought it, it was $5.38. I'm telling you, maybe it's just Atlanta. I don't know. But uh, okay, I've got to get off the politics. Okay, back here. Hope, hope, yeah, hope. We all know that hope, we use hope all the time. You know, hope, hope, uh, hope my team is going to do well. Hope they win the World Series. Hope this happens. Hope this happens. Hope this guy does well for the team. Okay, so, or, or we might have it for personal things. Like um, a young person says, uh, sometimes I've, I, I've had young people tell me this. They'll come right up, look me in the eye and said, Brother Van Gelderen, one day I'm going to be president of the United States. And you know what I feel like telling them? I usually don't. But you know what I feel like telling them? Yeah, you and 500,000 other kids, somebody's going to be disappointed, okay? You know what I'm saying? Some people have hopes. Some hopes aren't that realistic. You know what I'm talking about? 
I mean, face it, when a kid's five foot three and he says, man, I'm going to be an NBA basketball player. Well, unless you're Spud Webb, that's not going to work. Okay, you know what I'm talking about? You, uh, you should know that, you Atlanta fans. But, um, but uh, you know, there are some hopes that are highly unrealistic. Some hopes are okay, but we all understand what hopes are. But that's not what the Bible's talking about. When the Bible talks about hope, it means go to the bank, it's a done deal. See, we kind of mean, well, it might happen, might not, maybe, I hope it does, but probably won't. Okay, that's what we mean. But what God means in the Bible, it's literally the idea of a confident expectation. It's, when the Bible talks about the blessed hope, it's not, well, maybe there's a heaven, maybe there's not. No, go to the bank, it's a done deal, one day you'll spend eternity with God. <laughs> See, that's the blessed hope. Okay. So when the Bible's talking about faith as the substance of things hoped for, it is saying this, don't miss that, or faith, excuse me, faith substantiates Bible hopes. Can I put it this way? Faith takes theory and turns it to reality. Now let me illustrate it this way. Back when I was 16 years old, I walked the aisle, grabbed my dad's hand, and I said, Dad, I believe God's called me to preach. At that point, I can guarantee you, but I'm going to tell you something, friends. I know I'm called to preach. You say, preacher, I've been here all week long. I'm not so sure. Okay, but anyway, I'm telling you, friends, I know I'm called to preach. You say, how do you know? I don't know. I just know it. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's just this. I, I, listen, I know I, it just it is what it is. But uh, when I was 16 years old, I, in theory, knew this verse. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. At 16, that was nothing more than theory in the sense that I had not experienced it. Don't get me wrong, it's Bible, you understand, but for me, it was just theory. So, here I am, 40-some uh, years later from that being called to preach, and I can tell you that 1 Thessalonians 5, 24 is no longer theory, it's reality. You know what I've learned? If God calls you to do something and you follow God's call in your life, He will do it. <laughs> you might be out here and saying, I could never teach a Sunday school class. Well, one day your pastor may come to you and say, I want you to teach Sunday school class. And you know what you're going to learn? If you'll take the step of faith and follow God's call on that deal, I guarantee you, theory will turn to reality. Amen. There's many people that have no idea what their gifting is. You know why? Because they're never taking any steps of faith. I, I, I think of uh, one staff member at Falls Baptist Church. There are so many different ways people have talked about spiritual gifts, and I'm not really preaching on spiritual gifts tonight, but it does kind of tie into God's call on your life. But he said, basically, if you think about every spiritual gift, they're all commands. Are we supposed to be merciful? Are we supposed to be organized? Are we supposed to have a servant's heart? Are we supposed to be proclaimers of truth? Sure. Are we supposed to encourage people and exhort people? You're supposed to teach all of them. He said, the one that's your spiritual gift is the one that when you do it, God supernaturally blesses it. And I'm thinking to myself, that is really true. That's really good. You know why some people don't know their spiritual gift? Because they're not taking steps of faith to do the things God's called them to do or commanded us to do. You start following God in the local church and you're going to pretty soon find out. People, I listen, when I was a teenager and started preaching, people started coming to me and saying, you're an evangelist. I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding me. I'm not an evangelist personality. But you know, the gifting has nothing to do with your personality. It has everything to do with God's call on your life. And all I'm simply saying, friends, is, is that verse, faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it, will never mean anything to you until you follow God's call in your life and watch him do it. Then faith will substantiate the Bible hope. Does that make sense? Now, we could talk about a lot of things. How about this one? Ask and you shall receive. 
Well, you know, the truth is, you can know that in theory. And in my early years of the Christian life, that was only theory. But when I began a prayer life, I began a prayer journey, and that it is a journey because none of us arrive. But when I began the prayer journey, you know what I began to see? Theory became reality. God began to substantiate Bible hopes that God would answer my prayers. Now listen, I knew God answered prayer. I saw God answer my dad's prayers. I saw God answer my mother's prayers. I saw God answer my grandmother's prayers. I saw God answer Marquette Manor Baptist Church's prayers. But I wasn't so sure he'd answer my prayers. Because it was just theory. But you know what, friends? I began the prayer journey. I began to realize God will answer my prayers. And theory becomes reality. I'm telling you, friends, if you're weak in your Christian life, here's what you got to do. Believe God enough to obey him. Because the idea of faith, faith without works is dead. So faith is not just saying, I believe it. Faith is, I believe it enough to step out and trust God to enable me to do it. Faith is getting out of the boat and trusting Jesus to enable you to walk on water. That's faith. If you say you believe Jesus can enable you to walk in water and you stay in the boat, you don't believe it. If you believe, if you say, I believe God answers prayer and you never pray, you don't believe it. So faith is getting out of the boat. It's obeying Jesus. It's saying, okay, God, you tell me to do it. I'm doing it. I'm getting out of the boat trusting you to enable me to do what I could never do unless you enabled me to do it. And it's at that moment when you get out of the boat, you know what God does? He substantiates Bible hopes. You know, Peter could have said when Jesus said, come, that night there on the Sea of Galilee, he could have said, Jesus, I can't walk on water. I'm going to just tell you, friends, Every command God gives you and me, you need, God's, uh, uh, you need God's enabling or you're not going to be able to do it. But I remember I went to a Bible college or a college and, and over the uh, chalkboards were sayings from the founder. And one of them was, behind every command of God, he puts his omnipotence. You know what he was saying? He's basically saying this. When you and I believe God enough to obey him and you step out in faith, he will substantiate Bible hopes so that theory becomes reality. And you know what happens after that happens a few times? You become convinced. Now the funny part is for all of us in this room, depending on the steps of faith you took, you've taken, some of you would have confidence in some areas and not a whole lot of confidence in other areas. Just based on that. I remember years ago, I, for 14 years, uh, Minutemen Ministries was out of a large Christian university. And, and uh, while we were there, if I needed equipment, equipment, you know what I did? You say, preacher, get on your knees and pray. No, I put out a requisition. I need an air compressor. And I'd put it in, and most of the time, yes. And they, it was pretty easy. Very rarely was there no. I need a lighting system, and I need it to be custom-made. They'd go down the machine shop, and they'd make it. Well, when God led me in 1998 to become an independent ministry, those requisitions didn't work anymore. Now, for those 14 years, I will tell you something God gave me great confidence in, and that is that the gospel's powerful. And I will tell you, in those 14 years, I came to great confidence that if you preach a straight shot of gospel, that people will get saved. And I will tell you, friends, you, can, you could not unconvince me the gospel's not dynamite. You say, why? Because for 30 years, 38 years, I've been throwing dynamite, and every single time it works. <laughs> it's just amazing stuff. 
It really is. But it's so after those 14 years, complete confidence that the gospel's powerful. But I didn't have the greatest confidence that God was going to take care of us. Now, I knew in theory that he could. But I didn't know it in reality. But now I can say since 1988 in these last 24 year, uh, years, you know what I've learned? Whatever God calls you to do, he will not only equip you, enable you to do it, he'll equip you to do it with whatever you need. <laughs> he'll give you what you need. doesn't mean you'll have a surplus. It's the manna principle. You'll just have enough to do his will. <laughs> he'll meet your needs. It's remarkable what he does. Miracles occur. Okay, so here's the point. All of us in a Christian life are learning things, but after those new steps of faith, so I'm coming into this. Some of you this week, God's dealt with you about things. And you're taking those steps of faith. And I will tell you, we're going to see this in a moment. Steps of faith are scary. It's scary to get out of the boat when you can't walk on water. But you'll never see God through your faith substantiate Bible hopes without faith. That's why he says a few verses later, without faith, it's impossible to please him. That's why it's so important. You can hear the great preaching, but if you never put it into practice, you never take action steps, it doesn't profit you. Because faith demands action steps. That's what the Bible says. Faith without works is dead. That's not talking about lost people. It's talking about, uh, not talking about salvation. It's talking about Christian life. I don't have time to do an exegesis of James chapter 2. One of these days we'll probably walk through it. It's a little more of a thicker passage to run through. So faith substantiates Bible hopes. But there's another thing here. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. You say, what in the world does that mean? Okay, it's really not too hard. That word evidence kind of has a little bit of a courtroom appeal to it. It's evidence that drives you to a conviction. Now, I've never served on a jury, never have. Now, don't get me wrong. I've been called to jury duty many times. When I lived in South Carolina, I don't know how many times, I lost count. I must have gotten caught in some loop in the computer, but I was all constantly been called down to the courthouse on Monday for jury duty. Now, in South Carolina, I don't know how they do it here. You'd go down on Monday, and all the defense and prosecutions would pick the juries, and if you didn't get picked on Monday, you got to go home. So your goal on Monday was this, not get picked. And uh, you say, preacher, how did you do it? I was never picked. You say, how did you do it? Real simple. The very first thing they do is they'd go around, at least they do this in Greenville. I have no idea how they do it here, but they'd go around and say, what do you do for a living? All I'd have to say is, I'm an independent Baptist evangelist. And they look at you like, he's one of those. <laughs> I'm not sure what that means, but he's one of those. I remember one time I was in a jury pool. We're in Greenville, South Carolina, not Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where I now live. And the judge was a mean-looking guy. Now, I'm not all into this judicial stuff. I don't know a lot about it. But it just seems like judges practice looking mean. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, there's two people I kind of try to stay away from, judges and high school principals. But anyway, they just practice looking mean. Okay, but anyway, so uh, this judge, he was younger than I as He looked down at the jury pool real mean like and he says okay how many of you have a conviction against the consumption of alcohol now I'm thinking this is Greenville South Carolina everybody's going to raise their hand so like this I'm looking around there was just one other nut and myself that was it just two of us and uh, so the judge looks at me and says sir I need you to see you at the bench oh great <laughs> so I'm walking up there and I was just I was nervous Judges make me nervous, like I said, in high school principals. Anyway, I walked up there, and he looked at me. I think they practiced. He looked at me and said, Sir, do you think you can set your convictions aside and judge this case according to the merits of United States law? 
And I laughed. I shouldn't have done it, but I laughed. I said, I'll try, but I guarantee nothing. They didn't pick me, okay? They did not pick me, okay? Uh, but anyway, uh, which really was true. I don't know if I could have. But, uh, but the point is, I, I, didn't, I, don't, I, don't, I didn't want to be on a jury. You say, aren't you a good American? Why don't you be on a jury? Because I've got to make a decision about something I didn't see. Do you know what happens with defensive prosecution? And some of you know it better than I do. They try to parade in front of the jury evidence that drives the jury to a conviction about something they didn't see. Do you know what faith does, friends? When you and I take steps of faith, God brings evidence that drives us to a conviction about things we can't see. And I will tell you, people who struggle with the existence of God, I feel so sorry for them because they've never taken steps of faith that allowed there to be evidence that drove to them to a conviction about things they couldn't see. I, uh, lest this sounds a little spooky, let me give you a Bible illustration. In John chapter 3, God uses the picture of the Holy Spirit as wind. Wind is a great picture of something you cannot see. But there is evidence that brings you to a conviction that wind exists, isn't there? On a fall morning, you ever stepped outside and the wind comes along, hits your Atlanta Braves hat, pulls it off, you know, and your ball cap's rolling down the thing. Uh, leaves start falling off the trees and you hear them scuttling across the lawn and off the street and you feel something cold against your, yourself and you turn to somebody, here's what you're saying. It's windy today. Now I'm going to just tell you, friends, you didn't see the wind. You saw evidence. And that evidence drove you to a conviction about something you couldn't see. I, I don't know about you, but uh, sometimes I get enamored by weather, you know, weather situations, and I travel a lot, so many times weather situations happen in the United States, and I'm interested, you know, do, do I know anybody in that area? I'm concerned sometimes, and churches and different people you, you fall in love with, and you're thankful for their uh, love for the Lord, and you have a camaraderie with, and you're kind of concerned about them, so different weather phenomena, sometimes I'll keep up, but one of them is down in Florida when there's hurricanes. Now, hurricanes intrigue me because I'm from the upper Midwest and what we mess with is tornadoes up there, okay? And I'm not diminishing tornadoes, but you can see them. Hurricanes are this huge, faceless something. I don't know what they are. Okay, they're like, they kind of freak me out, hurricanes. Now, there was one time a hurricane was coming into Virginia Beach and the pastor canceled the meeting and said, get out of here. And man, I hightailed it out of there, got on the other side of the Blue Ridge Mountains, okay, before the, uh, to get away from the wind. But uh, I was amazed at hurricane frenzy. I don't know if you've ever been around hurricane frenzy. I mean, you go to the grocery store, all the things are gone. Everything's gone. The water is gone. I mean, you know, people are buying generators. There's gas lines. It kind of looks like uh, it kind of looks like Jimmy Carter days. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, it's just amazing. It's just hurricane frenzy. And uh, so uh, sometimes, uh, you know, weather phenomena is occurring down in Florida and I'll get on weather.com or some other weather thing and I'm watching some kind of, some weather cast. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, just uh, fresh right off. They just recorded it. And, and they have some, have you ever noticed this? They usually have a 22-year-old fresh recruit who's out on the beach He's just graduated from Weather University and he's out on the beach. Hey, the hurricane's about to make landfall. I'm thinking, that guy's an idiot. <laughs> 
yeah, we're out out here at the beach, and you know, you know what I'm talking. I've literally seen reporters literally picked up and carried like this, like thinking, unbelievable. Yeah, it's about to hit, you know, and water is going by, and fish are flying by. You know what I'm talking about? Palm trees are like use, and you're looking at this thing, and here's that fresh recruit out there, and come to think of it, you never see him again. Have no idea what happened to him. Okay, and uh, and you're watching that thing, and here's what you say: Wow, it's windy down there. Do you know you and I, we didn't see the wind. We saw the evidence, and it drove us to a conviction. There's wind down there. Are you getting the picture, friend? Do you know what faith does? Faith is when you and I believe God enough to get out of the boat and do what he wants us to do, and he brings evidence into our life that brings us to a conviction about things you can't see. I want to tell you something, friends. This revival meeting and every Sunday you hear preaching and Wednesday here, it won't do you a lick of good unless you mix it with faith. But when you mix it with faith, it will substantiate Bible hopes. It will bring evidence into your life that will drive you to a conviction about things you cannot see. Now, I will be honest with you, most of the time, the thing that keeps us back from taking those steps of faith is fear. And I will be honest with you, I think sometimes it may be a fear to apologize. It may be a fear to go get right with somebody. It may be a fear uh, to, to, in your own heart, say, I'm letting it go. It may be a fear to take a step of faith and go next door and invite somebody to church. I don't know what the issue may be. But I'm going to use an illustration. This is certainly not a Bible illustration, but working with teenagers, I try to always think of illustrations to get it down where they live. So hopefully you'll remember it, but it does help us understand faith. So here it is. How many out here will admit it you like roller coasters, roller coasters. Yep, okay. Now, I think I've ridden my last roller coaster. I've reached the point in my life where I do not like blood on just one side of my body. I kind of like it everywhere. You know what I'm talking about? But uh, some of you out here are still little, got a little bit of compartmental insanity and enjoy roller coasters. So let's may, imagine you are a roller coaster fiend. You know what I'm talking about? And not only that, you're good at physics. So let's imagine you begin to study the physics of roller coasters. You probably know this. There's physics in roller coasters. And uh, they have positive Gs and negative Gs. You know what I'm talking about, tracking with that? I, I think negative Gs is when you feel like you weigh 500 pounds, and positive Gs feels like when you're going to be thrown out of the roller coaster to your death. Okay, so you get the idea, and you kind of go back and forth between negative Gs and positive Gs on a roller coaster. So let's imagine you, check, you, 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 you uh, do all the research and the drops and the speed and the Gs, and I mean, you got it all down, and you come to a conclusion. There is a roller coaster in the United States, pardon the expression, that's the funnest roller coaster there could be, at least in the United States. And uh, so what are you going to do to substantiate your hope that that's a great roller coaster? What are you going to do to bring evidence that brings you to a conviction it's a great roller coaster? What are you going to do? And the answer is, write it. Well, actually, you have to do something before you write it, and that is get in line. Because the line is part of the experience. Now, when I was growing up, I often uh, wasn't real thrilled about some of those extreme roller coasters, but uh, my older sister, who's now with the Lord, she never met a roller coaster she didn't absolutely love. Now, what are you going to do when a sister rides a roller coaster? You've got to ride it. There are some things worse than death, and that is being made fun of by your sister. You know what I'm talking about? My sister, every roller coaster I have ever been on with her, she didn't scream one time. From the moment she got on to the moment she got off, she laughed the entire time. I didn't think there was anything funny about it. You know what I'm talking about? I'm plotting my funeral and she's laughing about it. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, so here it is. 
You don't want to get on it, but you succumb to peer group pressure. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I'm talking to many of you out here. You'd have never gotten in line if it wasn't for those people. That, oh, come on. Especially if you got a kid sister. That's even worse than an older sister. Like, no fear, she gets in line. And you're sitting there acting like you're not concerned, and you're plotting your funeral. Okay, we're going to sing. I love to tell the story. Okay, you know what I'm talking about. And, and you're there, and you're getting a little more nervous. Now, did you know they hire psychologists to freak people out before you ever get on the ride? There's a sign, warning. If you have skeletal problems, do not ride this ride. I'm usually thinking to myself, I don't now, but I think I'm going to get some, okay? Go a little further. Warning, if you have a heart condition, do not ride this ride. You're thinking, I'm getting one. You know what I'm talking about? Heart's getting a little faster. If you have, next, next sign, warning, if you have ingrown toenails, you know what I'm talking about. So you get more and more freaked out, and now your mind starts to play tricks. You ever had that happen? You're hearing people scream. You're pretty sure they're falling to their death out of the roller coaster. You're hearing medevac helicopters coming in. None of this is happening, but it's all going in your mind. Coming in, taking out the dead and wounded, so, uh, you know, they keep the thing going. And you come right up to the line. You ever done that right at the line? You're thinking, what am I doing here? And you're looking for an escape route. They call it the chicken exit. You say, preacher, I've really never seen it. The words chicken exit, oh, no, no. They don't have the words out there. It's a wheelchair. Okay, you go out the wheelchair around backwards. That's the chicken exit. And if that doesn't work, the other thing is you go in and you act like you're getting on the ride, then you act like you're getting off the ride. Okay, just right through the thing. Okay, some of you have been there. I can tell. But let's just imagine this time you decide, I'm going to write it. I'm not going to have my kid sister mock me the rest of my life, okay? So you get your courage up, you get in there, and then they have that thing over, you know, and it goes down like this, and click. I'm going to be dead honest with you. I shouldn't be this honest, but I'm going to be this honest with you. Every time I have ever heard the click, my next thought has always been, you are such an idiot. That has always been my next thought. Like, what are you doing here? Now I'm stuck. I can't get out. That's when your prayer life improves. You know what I'm talking about? And uh, pulled out of that station, hit that first hill. Click, 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 click. I hate the first hill. Click, 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 click. You're starting to pray. I mean, you're getting right with God just in case. You're starting to sing, Lord, I'm coming home. You know what I'm talking about? Click, 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 click. Oh, I hate the top of that thing. Click, click, click. Poof. 120 seconds of sheer blur. You know what I'm talking about? Every scream gets caught in your throat. You just can't even scream. And then it is. About halfway through the ride, you see a bar. You're going to be decapitated. What a way to go. You're going to be decapitated. You duck. It drops. You feel like an idiot. Okay, but anyway, and 120 seconds later, you pull into the station. I'm going to tell you exactly what you did. Because I did it, and all my friends did too. We got off the roller coaster, we looked at each other, and we said, man, that was great! Let's do it again? <laughs> now, friends, that is an illustration of faith. Do you know what happens when you believe God and He substantiates your hopes? Do you know what happens when He gives evidence into your life of things you can't see? You get off the roller coaster of faith, the roller coaster of truth, and you say, man, that was great, let's do it again. But you know what I find with a lot of people? They don't even get on the roller coaster. They hit the chicken exit. Listen, this week, God may have some pretty tough things he's put in your heart. Man, you need to get this right. You need to deal with this. you got to go here, man. You, gotta, you need to take some steps in evangelism. You need to get on the prayer journey or whatever it might be. I don't know. And fear maybe grips your heart. And I just beg you, friends, 
It may not be always easy, and not everything about that 120 seconds, if I can use the analogy, is going to be absolutely exhilarating. But I am telling you, friends, when you ride the roller coaster of truth, uh, that you put faith in that roller coaster of truth, you'll get off and say, man, that was great. Let's do it again. But you will miss out if you hit the chicken exit. It won't profit you. Not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. And I'm just going to urge you, if there's an issue in your life, I'm telling you, I've had people go to bosses and confess the fact they've stolen things. I've had people go to bosses and confess the fact that they, they'd been cheating on the clock. All kinds of situations like that. You say, no way, preacher. I can't do that. The 1971 Saskatoon Revival. Anybody familiar with the 1971 Saskatoon Saskatchewan Revival? Anybody at all? Okay. Bill McLeod was the pastor of the church. Bill McLeod. McLeod is spelled M-C-L-E-O-D, not like cloud like up in the sky. And uh, he came there to a church in Saskatoon. Long story, they got on a prayer journey. And I mean, they started to pray. Like, I mean, they, didn't, they weren't in kindergarten anymore. They were on the, tra on the trail. And a couple of evangelists who were twins came to that church. This is 1971. Just for a, a one-week meeting, I think the meeting lasted seven weeks. And by the time it was over, they were filling the largest auditoriums they could find in Saskatoon. It impacted the entire town. Well, in Saskatoon, there was a chief of police. And the chief of police was not a believer. In fact... After the revival is over, here's what he said. He said, I am not a believer. I do not believe in God. I think he was an atheist. But he said, I'll tell you what, I do believe in revival. He said, because during that revival, he said, for the only time in my entire police career, he said, we had a stream of people coming into the police station confessing unsolved crimes. He says, I do not believe in God, but I do believe in revival. <laughs> Which means he really believes in God. He just didn't understand that. Okay. But isn't that amazing? You know what happens in revival? People believe God. And they believe in God saying, I don't care what it takes. i got to go back and get this right. See, that's why revival is hindered. Because we're, we're, we don't take the steps of faith God leads us to take. Because some of them are tough. Getting right about stuff. Listen, every week we do war special forces in a Christian school. We have a campfire service. There are sometimes, friends... I will tell you, at that campfire service, you have kids' unbelievable testimonies. I remember one kid getting up in Phoenix, Arizona. Needy kid all week long. I'm thinking, man, that kid's got needs. I remember when he was in line to give a testimony. I'm thinking, I don't know. I'm not, I haven't seen much this week. I wonder what's going on. They have to go through a team captain. Team captain nodded at me like, yeah, I think he's clear. I think I, later, I'm, gonna, I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to wring that guy's neck. If he let that guy through, he shouldn't have come through. Uh, but anyway, he comes up, and I'll never forget the testimony. It was clearly a, the testimony he should have let through. But he said, the guy, the, guy, the guy comes up, and he looks out at the student body, about 100 kids there that night, about 60, 70 of them were Christian school, the rest of them unsaved kids that had gotten saved or were, were there, still not saved. He got up and said, I just came from Walmart. I just came from the manager's office in Walmart. Now, by the way, he's beaming while he's saying this. He said, I just told him all the stuff I'd been shoplifting. You could almost heard an audible gasp over the student body because they didn't know he was a thief. Then he said this. He gave me mercy, and he smiled real big. Now, mercy doesn't necessarily mean there's no consequences. It just means it's not as bad as it would have been if you'd have gotten caught. I tell young people, there'll be consequences. 
But if you confess and forsake, God says you'll have mercy, so you're going to have mercy. It's not going to be as bad as it would have been if you'd gotten caught. And I will tell you something, friends. I'd rather come clean than have to be caught because I've found many times when people are caught, they're much more unlikely to be thorough in their repentance. But when somebody comes clean on their own, buddy, they're, they're, they're dealing with it. He said he gave me mercy. And then he said this to the entire student body. He said, I'm walking out of Walmart moments ago. And he said, joy overflowed my heart. You know what he's experiencing? Evidence. That brought him to a conviction about things he couldn't see. I don't know how many kids I've heard testify about going to their teacher and confessing cheating. I don't know how many kids I've heard talk about going to mom and dad and coming clean about the junk they've been doing behind their back. I have heard thousands. And I'm not, mis I'm not misrepresenting it. And every time you can see evidence. They're smiling. I've had kids say, I have joy in my heart now. Go figure. Now, I'm going to tell you, when they were in the thick of it, it was tough. Many of them weeping. Many of them broken. I've had kids say, man, it was tough. I went to my parents. They cried. I cried. Man, it was rough. But I'm so grateful I did it. Man, I've got a lift in my heart. I'm closer to God now than I've been in a long time. You know what they're talking about? Evidence. In their teenage language, evidence. Evidence. That brought them to conviction about things they could not see. Oh, I'm telling you, it's a delightful thing. That's why I'm telling you this, this evening, I don't know what God's dealing with you about. Maybe it's just a burden for your next door neighbors to give them the gospel. Maybe it's a burden to take steps of faith when it comes to gospel giving. Maybe it's just God burdening your heart to get on the prayer journey. I don't know what the thing is that God's telling you to do, but I'll tell you what faith will do. And you take those steps of faith, it'll substantiate Bible hopes. It'll bring evidence that will bring you to a conviction about things you've never seen. Wow. That's when the Christian life becomes alive. Amen. It's like waking up in the morning and thinking, I wonder what God's going to do today. Amen. And he's not a respective person. It's not a person in this room that God doesn't want us to be men and women of faith. We get out of the boat, trust Jesus to enable us to do the impossible. And I want to encourage each one of you. I don't know what the issues are. But I know sometimes you get right up to it and there's that hesitation in your heart. There's that fear to step out of the boat. That just, and I will tell you, friends, whatever that is God's dealing with you about, I'm just telling you right now that the messages and the preaching will not profit you unless you mix it with faith. Believe God enough to obey Him in dependence on His strength, not yours. Well, mentioning some of those testimony services over the years, certainly some of them have been very memorable. And I will tell you, friends, there's not a person in this room that does not get absolutely thrilled when God uses you. All of us do. But at my age now, I found a greater thrill. You know what my greater thrill is? When God uses a teenager. Because I know they will be absolutely Im uh, impacted for life. And I can tell you quite a few stories of young people's testimonies that were unusually powerful. And in many cases, the catalyst to bring revival to an entire Christian school. I remember several years ago, 1994, I was getting burdened for Christian schools. Up to that point, I was running the program you just saw here, a war with a Brother Bosler. I ran that program for 10 years. I think Brother Bosler is now at about 10-year mark himself. And so I did that for 10 years, and God began to burden my heart for Christian schools. But at that point, we didn't have a program for Christian schools. 
I was just burdened in early 1994. I called up a pastor who's now with the Lord, but I called him up in Pennsylvania and I said, brother, we're looking forward to being with you in the war. And we talked a few minutes. He said, now, brother Van Gelderen, he said, please don't be offended by this. He said, I am not bringing you here to reach teenagers in the community. He said, now, don't get me wrong. I hope a bunch of kids get saved. But he says, our Christian school's in trouble. We've got problems. He said, I'm bringing you in to, uh, to minister in our Christian school. And I remember saying to that pastor, I said, Pastor, I can't believe this. I think this is of the Lord. I said, God's been burdening my program, my heart to birth a new program uh, for our ministry uh, in Christian schools. And here's what he said. He says, well, he said, we'll be a guinea pig. He, in fact, I think I said, can we use you as a guinea pig? He said, absolutely. He said, you tell us what to do and we will do it. And they made good on the word. So we sent them a program and only problem was we, we had to come in on a Wednesday just the way the program was made. We had to come in on a Wednesday and of course you just went through it so you understand, leave on a Tuesday morning. So we're only going to have the kids for three days in school because the weekend they weren't there. Well, I remember we got there and they told me, it, God has a sense of humor. I have now done hundreds of Christian schools and I will tell you that Christian school was in the top five worst Christian schools I've ever been in. God has a sense of humor. He gives one of the tough ones right off the bat. It's like downhill after this thing. <laughs> of course, we didn't know that at the time. So we get in that Christian school, and the very first day I preach in chapel, it's like preaching to a brick wall. If you've ever preached and ever preached to certain places, you know what I'm talking about, preaching to a brick wall. It's like nothing. I'm thinking, whoa, this is amazing. That night, we, uh, afternoon, we got out to play one of our competitions. I think it was big ball volleyball. And literally, I am telling you, some of the high school kids would be, uh, the ball would be coming to them, they'd step out of the way and the ball would hit the ground and they'd look at the team captain like, I'm not playing your games. I had two very competitive team captains. I thought they were going to kill somebody. I really did. I had to pull them in and said, listen, they're trying to provoke you. Don't play their game. Don't react. We're in a battle. It was a battle. Friday, same thing happened. Preaching chapel, nothing. Friday afternoon, I mean, found out later the high school basically had said, don't go to the war. Boycott it. I mean, that's what we were up against. So Saturday night, basically, we had a good crowd. 60 kids or so came from the community. I mean, some of them were, were uh, youth group kids whose parents made them come. But largely, the school kids who did not go to the church did not come. They boycotted it. We probably only had 20% of the school, maybe less, 10, 15. I don't remember. But it wasn't many. Had a wonderful night that night. Then came time for Sunday night. Of course, you've just been through this, so you know what I'm talking about. Now, I, I work with, I, I knew enough about Christian schools. I went to one. I thought our attendance would go up with the Christian school on Sunday night because I thought some of the kids would probably rather come to the war than me go to church, so they might ask their parent. And that's exactly what happened. Our school attendance went up on Sunday night. And one of them was a kid named John. He and his siblings evidently got the permission from their dad, who was a pastor in a nearby church. He came and dropped them all off at the war, and then he pulled off, went up to the service, and of course he was going to preach at his own church. John was 16 years old, and he was one of the rebels. He was one of the leaders in the school that had basically said, no way, man. We're not, we're not, you know, he was part of the whole thing. Well, John came that night, and there were about 60, 70 kids in the room. I preached the gospel message and came to the very end, and, and I gave an invitation to get saved if you need to get saved, and just a straight gospel invitation. And John stood to his feet. He was near the back, and he was sobbing. He's weeping as he's leaving the room. He's weeping so heavily that I, could, I was the farthest one from him, and I could clearly hear him weeping as he left the room. I thought to myself, wow, I wonder what's going on. 
Later, John came out about 20, 25 minutes later, and pretty much by this time, people had gone home, and there were just a few people around. Then I noticed John and his siblings were left because the dad was still preaching, and he was going to be the last one to pick up the kids. And, and uh, I noticed that John was crying. He probably kept crying for 15, 20 minutes. So finally, I walked up to John, and I said, okay, John, what in the world is going on? And he said, Brother Van Gildren, he said, when you started preaching tonight, God told me, if you don't get saved tonight, you will go to hell. Now, I can't totally understand this, friend, but I am telling you, when he said that, he, he wept some more. John honestly believed he got saved at his last opportunity, and he just sobbed. I thought to myself, wow, God's doing something. I'll never forget that next morning. It was a Monday morning. It's our last chapel. That's an unusual time. Obviously, we now have moved our schedule to Monday to Friday, but we were just piloting something at the time. And so that Monday morning, I walked into chapel, and you, if you don't know anything about Christian schools, you're not going to get this. You could have cut the atmosphere with a knife. Kids were saying, you hear about John? Yeah. John spilled his guts, man. See, John knew everything. See, you have to understand this Christian school. If a kid gets right in Christian school, everybody's nervous because he knows too much. I'm just telling you the honest truth. It's the really, it's like, I wonder if he told on me, you know, that kind of thing. And literally everybody's nervous, especially the older kids. Now, John hadn't really talked to anybody about anything. He'd just gotten saved, dealt with some sin issues in his own life. So, uh, uh, but I get up, I could sense the tension. We went through some of our games and whatever, and uh, came time just about ready to preach. And John was seated over on this side, about 60 kids in the Christian school. John stands up and said, Brother Van Gelder, can I say something? Now, you probably don't know this, but sometimes as a preacher, you have conversations with yourself while you're up on the platform, like that guy's about to fall asleep, you know, stuff like that. Okay, but anyway, so he stands up and says, uh, Brother Van Gelden, could I say something? And I'm thinking to myself, I don't say this out loud. Sure, you may as well, because nothing I'm saying is working. Okay, you know what I'm saying? You don't, think, you don't say it out loud, but you're thinking that. And so John comes up, and I notice he's got a cardboard box with him. So I look in the cardboard box, and he had cassette tapes. Now, all you baby boomers and baby busters out here need to tell all these millennials what a cassette tape is. But anyway, had cassette tape and he had pulled all the magnetic tape out. So you just had, you just basically had the, 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 the hard covers down here, the plant, and it was just like, it was just, it was just like mangled magnetic tape in this box cardboard box. The platform was a little lower than this, about two feet. He sets it down there. We're down on the main floor. And uh, he puts that box right there and man, he, tell, he begins to give his testimony. He tells what God did last night. You could have heard of Bentroff. He said, now that I'm saved, right with God, he said, that junk in that box says, that's a bunch of my music. He said, I don't need that garbage anymore. He said, I'm going to put in the fire tonight. I'm burning it tonight. And he said, some of you got junk in your lives. You put it in the box, we'll burn it together. Man, you could have heard of Bentroff. I'm thinking, whoa, this is different. I get up, start to preach that chapel. I'll never forget that. About halfway through the message, I, I can't explain this, but halfway through the mess, message, I don't know how to explain it other than the Holy Spirit said to me, you need to stop right now. It's the only time in my entire ministry that God has told me, you have to stop right now. I, it was a crash landing. I finished the message right, just boom, right in the middle. Gave an invitation. I will never forget that invitation. It was like a spiritual neutron bomb went off. Literally, our team was doing spiritual triage, I'd say, for at least a couple of hours. 
I remember an hour after the invitation, walking down one of the hallways, a sophomore in high school sitting on a bench sobbing. I sat next to him and said, hey, bud, what's up? He said, man, I'm going straight to hell. Let him to Jesus. It was like that one right after another. Kids getting saved. Kids getting right with God. And I will tell you, the assistant pastor of that church, who's now a pastor at a different church, he told me, he said, Brother Van Gilden, that revival lasted. It changed our school. And I'm going to tell you, here's my point. It all started with a young man, 16 years old, not even saved 24 hours, who believed God enough to get out of the boat. And you know what God did? He substantiated Bible hopes. He brought evidence that brought uh, us to a conviction about things you could not see. It was remarkable. And honestly, folks, I could tell you other stories too. I'm telling you, God's a big God. It's amazing what he can do. But here's what he needs. Faith. Faith. Us to believe God enough to obey him in dependence on his strength, not ours. Could I ask every head bowed, please, and every eye closed?